I'm a CEO of a mid-sized nonprofit and we're getting ready to engage in a strategic planning process. We've had mixed success in the past, so we decided to contract with a new firm this time. I recently found out that the new consulting firm has suggested a board retreat with no staff present, not even me as the CEO. This has me nervous and feels like a huge red flag. Have you heard of this approach? Is there some benefit to doing it this way that I'm not seeing? There are some more questions to be asked, in my opinion. I I would ask the consultant, why are they proposing this? What is their approach and why is it all board members and no staff? Because there could be good reason. And I will just use this as an example. Oftentimes when I have done strategic planning before, I will do perhaps some focus groups as part of you know, the data analysis and stakeholder feedback. And sometimes that's with board members or different groups and subsets and of the organization. And so I think that that could perhaps be what this is about. Um, it could also be wanting some clarity from the board related to strategic planning process that is not influenced or biased perhaps by the CEO. So I think you just need to ask without jumping to conclusions. I know it's easier said than done because I think many people who hear this question probably would feel panicked too. Like, oh no, does this mean like I'm on my way out because they're doing a strategic planning retreat or a board retreat without me? I mean, I get that, but I also think there's a lot of steps in a planning process and this could just be one of those steps. Uh, I think it's a little disturbing that that wasn't already shared with you why or sort of the process and methodology because I know Andy you're probably like me I usually when I'm going to embark on work with a client I lay it out and say this is what I'm going to do here's the thinking behind why I'm going to do it this way right so that I I help uh, fill some of those those gaps that occur that people are wondering why something's being done. So um, it could just be something pretty innocent that's just part of a longer term process. And if there is something that I, I will say this, if that um, consulting firm decides that they're doing a strategic planning retreat or having strategic discussions without you as a CEO in the room, that's nuts to me. I mean, no, no disrespect, but I've never heard of such a thing, right? You know, on the ground, what's happening. If anything, I think CEOs and their teams tend to play a larger role in strategic planning retreats than boards do because boards don't know the ins and outs and, and the issues at hand. So board members certainly have to approve strategic direction and strategic plans, but, but you've got to be a part of that process, as does your team. Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. Welcome to Nonprofit Everything, the podcast where hosts Andy Shurek and Stacy Wedding answer your questions about all things nonprofit. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Nonprofit Everything. I'm Andy Shurek. I'm here with my fantastic co host, Stacy Wedding, and we're here to answer anything and everything about nonprofits or other things. We'll answer anything, honestly. Um, yeah. Probably more yeah. nonprofit specific would make more sense. But, Andy, <laughs> wouldn't it be fun if someone could, like, you know, jump in with a, a random question just to see what they come up with? When it, we've gotten a couple of funny ones in the past. We have, I would prefer nonprofit questions. I mean, don't, don't not send us something because you don't think it's relevant. How's that? You can send us something that, that you're curious about. And if it's tangentially related to nonprofits, we'll probably answer it. 
Um, other random things, maybe not so much. We'll just laugh. We'll just laugh, right? We'll just laugh at you if exactly. you send us those random questions. Exactly. Exactly. So you could do that. The easiest way to do that is the nonprofiteverything.com webpage. There's a giant button to click that allows you to ask us a question. Honestly, that's where the majority of our questions come from. Um, so that's that seems to be the way most people send it. But you can also get us on all the socials. The, you, it's either under Andy or Stacy or Nonprofit Everything. Um, look for all of them. They're everywhere. Um, and with that, we'll jump right in. So this is this is an interesting question. Just this particular question, I find it interesting. I'm curious about the person who wrote it too, because I want to know what what you're getting at here. But here's the question: I'm curious, what are the most common mistakes you see in nonprofit management? So nonprofit management is such a big topic, right? And I, I it's <laughs> like I'm like, oh my gosh, where do we start or where do we begin? Like, there's so much that goes under nonprofit management, and candidly, none of us are perfect, and I fail every day. So I want to say this humbly as I try to answer this, and maybe I'm going to make it more about nonprofit leadership. But I think there's a few that stand out for me that I think are sort of um, part of the sector and part of what we've heard people talk about over the years, and particularly in recent years, about the lack of investment in core infrastructure, in core technology, in core training, professional development salaries. We're starting to see that shift now that some funders are also shifting, and there's the key there. I think part of what you see in mistakes in nonprofit management when they don't invest in these things is less about like an outward mistake. It's part of the model that makes nonprofits challenging, right? You've got funders who are restricting dollars or, you know, making you, you know, no indirect cost and none of this baloney. And and so it sort of feeds this cycle of lack of investment in the core foundation we need to be successful as organizations. So I want to say that with recognizing that part of it is the model and not, but I but I also want to say it, I've seen organizations that even without that funding have found creative ways and gotten really thrifty and resourceful because it's a priority because they know that that is what creates a well-functioning organization is having people who are well-trained, even, you know, finding inexpensive ways to do that, finding people in the community, peer organizations like you've talked about, Andy, that are willing to just sort of share their own knowledge, um, finding ways to to do this and, and, in, and make it a priority. So that I think that's one overarching sort of theme that I think of. Um, I think kind of going to that, there's a mentality that I think just is sort of a challenge and um, as something we need to really work on as a nonprofit sector, the mentality that we are all these heroes and we will work all hours of the day and never take a break or a vacation. And the more we work, the better because it's for this higher mission. And we are seeing that, right? You look at all of the reports and research out there and, you know, everything. The great resignation is a real thing. The, the burnout rate and seeing how nonprofit leaders are exiting the field like never before. And there's a reason. And it's because of this mentality that somehow like we are more like like we are better humans or that's what you sign up for when you set up for nonprofit. I don't think that's going to work anymore. Not with 
you know, newer, gen- younger generations, not with what we're seeing out there in the industry. So I think it's been a mistake because we have burned out people maybe quicker um, than we we needed to because there's just this overall sort of mentality. And I think as leaders and as nonprofit managers, we have got to do our best to try to model that, to not fall into that trap and that's being said by me that is the worst example of that ever. And if I, right, <laughs> so I, I acknowledge that fully. And I know the, the tension that exists when you're passionate and you want to make change, right? Um, and then on a more practical, those are sort of a little more global um, because, I, you know, let's be real. We all make mistakes every day in every facet of the business. Um, I do think that Something that is really top of mind for me lately because of some experiences I've had lately is this idea of getting really clear, direct, succinct messaging about our organization. And I think very few do this well. And I think it's a huge mistake and missed opportunity. So the mistake is thinking that everyone cares as much as we do and that they want to hear us talk about everything but the kitchen sink about what we do and to have diarrhea of the, you know, vomit of the mouth for 30 minutes where like literally they don't get a word in edgewise. It doesn't work. We've got to stop it. It's actually a, it, it's a turnoff. <laughs> it's a turnoff to people, right? They're, they're just like, okay, like they've zoned out after minute number one. And I love that you're passionate, but you've done nothing to figure out a way to engage me, to, to message everything from, I mean, you see this in everything from, from, you know, one-on-one interactions to group settings where people introduce themselves and they're asked to introduce themselves and say their name and organization. And they go on for five minutes about what they do and their mission and how all the exciting stuff they have going on. You see this with, you know, everything from, um, grant proposals or, oh, I'm meeting with a donor. And so I am only going to have this one opportunity with them. I just, the list goes on and it's something that maybe it's because I've been doing this for so long. I'm starting to get really just sort of tired because it's, it's like, please spend the time getting really clear and, and invest in training or get experts to help you or, you know, bring on people on your board who are good at this. Figure out a way how you narrow this down to the brass tacks and invite people to join you and become a part of it instead of just this one-way barrage of information. And it's, it's, a, it's you can hear it in my voice. <laughs> It's a it's a sore spot with me right now because I think I think it comes down to um, nonprofits are missing this phenomenal phenomenal opportunity to connect with humans in a much deeper way and to actually have much more support financial volunteers all that if they could learn this one piece so I think there's a mistake and the fundamental mistake is assuming everyone cares and is as interested and passionate as you are. And as sad as that is, maybe it comes from me being an, you know, middle-aged, uh, grumpy lady. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think now that I've gone on my tirade? That's no, I think that's funny. I did a, I did a presentation, um, not that long ago. And one of the things that we did is say, everybody needs to go around the room and I'd like you to introduce yourself until you were. And, and, 
there was some of that. There was a little bit of like you, I have asked you three very specific questions and you're answering question number nine now. And it's like, I felt like I needed like the house band to just start playing to say, okay, we're out of time next person. Um, Cause you don't want to be rude. You don't want to be like, you, you sound very interested. Whatever you're talking about sounds very important to you. So I don't want to cut you off because that would make me rude. Right. Um, so yeah, so that was, that struck a chord. I think, I think for me, you know, having had, um, you know, pretty much everything Stacy said is always right. So going beyond what Stacy already said, I'd say, um, nonprofits that are incapable of saying no, like, especially when a donor comes in and says, we would like to do this, or somebody says, here's some money, but here's a restriction. And, and the, and it's very difficult, especially for executive directors and fundraising people to tell a donor, no, um, from my chair, from the, and I was, I was, I've said this before, I was known as Dr. No in my last organization because I was the one, someone would come in and they go, look at this great thing. We got this donor's going to do this and she's got all this money and she's going to give us money for this. And we just need to do this. And I'd say, no, let's not do that. Here's why, right? You, you know, we've got all these other things that are working great. And why does this person who has thought about us for exactly 15 minutes, no more than us who has spent the last five years doing this thing? Right. So maybe, you know, we're happy to learn new things. We're, we didn't say we haven't solved the problem yet. So new ideas are great. But just because somebody walks in with money and an idea at the same time doesn't make the idea worth any more. Um, so you need to consider that. And I'd say that's sort of a it's hard to do. I'd say one of the reasons that it is a common mistake is that it's very difficult to tell a donor. No, thank you. Um because you don't want to risk alienating them and potentially not getting more money in the future. Right. So you're totally. going to take the good with the bad totally. and you know, it's just this one thing, but we want to keep her happy. And so we're going to do this weird thing that we'd never considered because that's what her idea was. Um, but then on the other hand, I've met donors that are um, happy to hear that. They want to know that you've already got a plan that you like, look, the reason that we're set up this way, the reason that we're doing the things that we're doing. And these are the programs is because in our experience and expertise, these are the things that solve the problem most effectively. And it's not that we haven't thought of everything, you know, maybe there's stuff we haven't thought of, but the reason we're doing this is because this stuff works. Um, and that's, that's something that I think a donor would appreciate hearing is like, look, thank you. We thought about that. We actually tried that 15 years ago and it was really stupid. So I'm glad you reminded me of it. <laughs> something like yeah. that. Um, I'd say that's probably the most, the most common mistake that I see. I I'm nodding my head furiously if anyone could see uh, Andy and I in our conversation because I would agree. And I think some of it is really being a leader and running nonprofits and even just working in nonprofits is we've got to do hard things, right? And one of those hard things is saying no. So uh, just say no, right? Put it on the sticky note. I have served as the board chair for a medium-sized nonprofit about three years. Our CEO will be retiring in the next six months. And as we've started to embark on succession planning discussions, I've been considering applying for this position. I think my career and leadership positions will lend themselves to this organization. And I also am deeply passionate about our mission. Do I resign from the board or just take a sabbatical? If I don't get chosen for this position, would I be able to come back to the board? Anything else I should be thinking of? 
Don't you love, Andy, how we get like three in one questions? Like it's never just one question. It's like three, four, five. People try to sneak them all in. (laughs) I think that's okay. No, and it's, you know why? It's because every, like every other episode, we get a question and we're like, we need more information. That's (laughs) true. Like we can't answer this because you weren't specific enough. And then we get other ones and they're like 20 pages and we're like, this is just too much. So apparently we can't be pleased. It doesn't matter what you do. We're going to be dissatisfied. So sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Too bad, so sad. Um. (laughs) Yeah. So this one, this is tough. And I think I'm having, you know, having thought about this for a while, I think I'm having trouble like taking my sort of nonprofit staff member experience and separating that from my sort of nonprofit board member, like advisor experience. So like in these two worlds, I've kind of come up with two different solutions. So we'll start with the staff member solution. So this is if I were still a staff member at a nonprofit and our CEO was leaving and one of the board members decided that they wanted to be the new ED, I think I would be really annoyed by that. I, and here's why. Like you're already in a position of power. You've, you've shown up to support the organization as a board. So you feel like you understand a lot about it, but just because you're on the board doesn't mean you understand a lot about it. And you're going to get a leg up because everybody in that room that's going to hire already knows you. And so there's the likelihood that the the board is going to end up selecting you, even though there may be a better candidate somewhere because they're familiar with you. They think, you know, the organization, even though you probably don't. Um, And that's going to sort of that's going to change their judgment of other people that are coming in from the organization that may have more more of what the organization needs than than you do, because somebody else has been running a nonprofit and actually knows what that means and isn't just overseeing someone else who's running a a nonprofit successfully. So there's a, I think there's a higher risk when boards are considering somebody that they already know for the organization to choose sort of a suboptimal person, right? So that's from my sort of nonprofit staff member perspective. And then we go to my nonprofit, like sort of advisor board member perspective. It's like, well, sure. If you're passionate about it and you're going to come into this like guns a blazing and you know the community and you've got all these relationships already, you may be a really good person for this job. But you need to consider that you're it. There's probably some ethical questions about whether or not you need to recuse yourself from the conversation or like say to the especially because you're the chair. You know, you're not yeah. just like a rando board ma- yeah. member, right? You're the chair. And so you need to like make it really clear at the outset because actually your job right now is to select who's going to be the ED. That's pretty much your only job. And you've decided it's me, right? <laughs> like I've picked myself. So, so you probably, if you're serious about this, like you can't have it both ways, you know, you have to, you, you have to not be governor anymore when you run around for president. Isn't that the rule? Like, so you, you have to like get out of that situation and say, look, I'm risking it all. I'm not going to be a board member of this organization anymore because I'm throwing my hat in the ring for the ED job. Um, good luck, vice chair. It's all yours now. Right. Um, so that's, that's kind of why I'm, I'm sort of half, I mean, I've got a foot in either camp and I don't know that I've got a good, a good answer for this. So I'm hoping that Stacy, you do. Oh man, that's a lot of pressure. And I'm afraid that I don't because I literally <laughs> am feeling the same tension that you are, particularly from the staff position. And even more so if you have a staff member, because how many times does something like this happen and someone's the ED, CEO or whatever is leaving the organization and a staff member wants to go for it. And then they find out, oh, great. I get to 
you know, going up against a board member. member. It's just, it's icky, right? It's icky. And it's, it's the power dynamic stinks and the, Mm -hmm. the opportunity for just not a fair objective process is so large that it's that, that really makes me nervous about this. Um, I do think, I mean, just to echo, but I'm going to add maybe a couple of other elements to what you said, because I agree with what you said. I mean, I do believe it's, I, I don't think it's a sabbatical. I don't think it's recusing. I think it is, you're stepping off the board. You need to step off that board as soon as possible. It like, so you are not a part of, because you've already had probably an advantage if discussions are being had about what the desired candidate is, right? I don't know if the board has gotten as far as thinking about, you know, where they're going to promote this position, what it's going to pay. I, you know, I don't know where you're at in that process, but you probably have a leg up already on some of the info that's going to help you be successful. And that's no bueno, in my opinion. So the sooner you can get out, if you're going to go for this, the better. Um, both just out of fairness and optics and ethically and all the things. Um, I also think you've got to think about, not that this is a reason to stay, but it's a reason to think about why so many times boards never talk, like they talk about the importance of succession planning and they tend to talk about it more from a staff position than a board position. But here is a great example of why board succession planning, particularly officer positions, is critical or who's in your leadership pipeline. Because guess what? What if there's no, I don't know this organization, what if there's nobody else to step up in a board chair position as this, when this person leaves? I mean, now you've left now weak board members or potentially a weak leader to lead the most important decision an organization will make is a hiring decision of their CEO. I mean, that scares me, right? So anyway, so that sort of leads to the larger picture. When when you hear us rattle on, or me particularly rattle on about succession planning, it's stuff like this that becomes really real, really quickly. Um, and as far as coming back, I think one of the questions was, would you be able to come back to the board if you didn't get the position? I think that needs to be really carefully thought out. I think very few people are able to do that without any bad feelings because they didn't get chosen. So you go through this process, board doesn't pick you, and now you want to come back to the board. And, it, you know, first, I don't know what your bylaws say, so you've got to look at all that. But you also have to look at the fact that maybe you really need to take a step aside for at least a year let any of that those unsettled feelings simmer down let sort of the new person get because the, the you know ch- charge a path forward because that new person is also probably going to know through the grapevine we'll hear the history of this and that's going to be uncomfortable for them too so and, and if you have any kind of um, you come down at all on the new person it's going to be hard to show that you're doing it whether this is a bias because you're, you know, ticked off that you didn't get the position versus whether you actually really had a legitimate reason. So it's just going to get too, too muddied. So at the end of the day, this is a very muddied situation. I, I would rather, I mean, in an ideal world, I would rather somebody looking at this, um, really think about, is there another organization if they think if they're, I mean, I know they're passionate and I know this person feels they have skills and I don't want to keep them away from the opportunity, but I also go, maybe there's another nonprofit or maybe there's another organization um, that, that might just keep it cleaner. I mean, would be idealistic, right? But I know that that doesn't happen. That's not the way life works. So. (laughs) Yeah. 
We did like, I think it was two months ago or so, we had Margot Walsh from Mainworks do an interview. And we one of the things that we were talking about is sort of nonprofit hiring. And she um, she said something that I thought was like, it it changed my sort of perspective. It was one of those things when somebody says something you're like, oh my gosh, I never thought of it that way, which is you sh- the way we're doing hiring right now anyway is wrong. Like you shouldn't yeah. have resumes and collect resumes and then look through them and figure out who the best person is. You always need to be in the process of finding out who's going to be filling those roles. You need to be actively saying that when this opportunity becomes available, these are the people we're going to go try to get to get this job. Right. Yep. And so that's, and that's, so that should be probably, you know, from a board member that needs to be baked into your, your, your process for succession planning anyway, is identifying who you're going to, who you really would want to take that job and then convincing them to take it. If you're that person, fantastic. That should be part of that discovery process of who should take that job. If you're not that person, you're not going to come up, which will give you a little bit more information about whether or not you like, like just because you think you know a lot, do you know a lot? Maybe you do. Maybe you are the best person for the job. So let's find that out now instead of making it this like popularity contest or whatever it becomes later. I also just one final thought. I wonder if boards listening to this could put themselves in the shoes that it also is a big job to hire and to do it well. I mean, unless they've done what you just mentioned, Andy, which we know a lot don't, but boards know that a hiring process isn't quick, especially in this environment, particularly for this, you know, type of position is not going to be one and done unless something they're really fortunate or they've already done the prep work. And so it is very, very easy for board members to fall into the trap in a situation like this where they want to take the easy way out. Let's not even do a formal search process. Let's just put this person in that role, right? And we've seen it. And that's the part that I go, please don't, please, I implore you, if you're a board member listening to this and you're ever in this position, please don't take the easy way out. You're the people you serve, the organization, nobody deserves that. Like you deserve to give several different people, you know, give, get a diverse candidate pool and make, make the decision from there. So it is summertime in Las Vegas, and we have yet to reach 100 degrees. But for those of you, wherever you're joining us, uh, in other parts of the country and the world, I hope that you're enjoying your summer and that you're enjoying some warmer temps and uh, just enjoying listening to this podcast. So we want to thank you. Thank you for being a loyal listener. Thank you for joining us. It means so much to us. And your questions, as you know, are what keep us going. So as a thank you to us, if you like today's podcast, why don't you just chime in, tag us, find us, nonprofiteverything.com, social media, find either one of us, Andy, my fabulous co-host, or I, and ask us a question so we can keep that fire going over the summer. Thanks so much. Mm -hmm.